0: Wonderful singing this morning, and I also want to extend my welcome to you and to the gathering of Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Jim, and I serve as the other pastor here with Pastor Michael, and uh, it's a great joy to serve the body of Christ here and to serve our community as ministers of the gospel and as a fellowship of the gospel. So we're so glad you're here. If you're tuning in for the first time online or to this uh, um, as a recording down the road, we welcome you and pray that this Service will be a time of answering questions that you might have about God, about the gospel, about Jesus, and about eternal life. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The Gospel of John in chapter 21, and you were handed a a, a slip of paper as you came in this morning and uh, as we continue on with our series but I want to start here in John 21. As you're turning there, I just want to say how, how fun it was yesterday to watch our guys win the softball championship of the galaxy. I mean, really, it's, Earth isn't big enough now for our guys. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was great and, and had some pictures. There wasn't a lot of humility after the picture, but it was, uh, it was still a good time, right? And they have, they have uh, bragging rights and just a great time to, of fellowship. While I was watching, as soon as soon actually I showed up for the championship game, and Phil Grimet comes up to me, who's our, one of our coaches, and he said, there's a guy sitting on Wixom's bleachers over there that um, says he knows you, and he wants you to come say hi. I'm like, I don't think I know anyone at that church. I've been to that church before, and I remember playing him in high school, but who on earth would know me? I looked over there, and there's this tall guy with white hair. And and so I walked over there, and I walked up to him, and he saw me, and he stood up, and I said, I'm supposed to know you. Um, And he goes, and he gave me his name. His name's Steve, uh, Steve Board. And my jaw just dropped. Steve Board was one of the children's church workers when I was growing up in Clarkston at our church. And he not only did that, but he was also heavily invested in Awana and in, in the youth ministry there. And I interned there for youth ministry when I was in college and had his daughter in my youth group at that time. And I just couldn't believe I was talking to Steve Ford. He's now a VP, one of the VPs, I guess, at Maranatha Baptist University in, in Wisconsin. And he's a businessman, retired, just given his full time in teaching business and, and helping the university there meet the demands of accreditation and their mission statement. So just it was so good to connect with him. But was what was extra special was the fact that he and his wife, who was there, were so close to my mom. And uh, they had a high regard for her and a good friendship with her, and, and we were able to re- just remember my mom. And I just didn't see all that coming when I went to the championship softball game. And I stayed far too long in the opposing team's bleachers, I admit. <laughs> and, but I, as I realized it and came into today, and my calendar says today would have been my mom's birthday... And I, uh, she went home to glory in 2019, and, and she was born in 1931. And uh, here I got to meet one of her friends yesterday, and, and today we, we remember her. My sisters and I have been texting. I have a lot of memories about my mom. It's today's her birthday, and she's not here. I can share one with you. I remember uh, my, I, growing up at Hoover and 11 Mile Road in that neighborhood over there. My mom and dad Never let me ride my bike in the street with all my friends on the side roads we had sidewalks on both sides of the street. What, what more could we ask for? But all my friends could ride in the street and I was like, "I want to ride in the street and and, and as as I gained independence as I was all of eight or nine years old, you know and it was, and my freedom was branching out, and I could go to other neighborhoods on my bike by the sidewalk. I remember one time we were two or three blocks away from our house and and my friends are riding in the street. I'm up on the sidewalk by myself and my friends started working on me. They said, jump in the street with us. Your mom's not here. And and I started listening to them and I was obeying my mom until they started pushing me, but I've got to take the blame here. I started listening to them. They, And, and, and my best friend Eric said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to You're on the sidewalk, I want you to drive down this driveway, cross the street, don't walk your bike across, ride it across, and go to that driveway on the other side of the street. Technically, you're just crossing the street. I said, okay, that'll work. So I did that. What freedom, what a feeling, to be riding my bike in the street, even from driveway to driveway. Well, you know where this went. I would come off this driveway and drive up two houses to that driveway and cross the street that way, and more time in the street. Before you knew it, I was riding in the street with them, blocks away from my house, having the time of my life, far away. Actually, there was no reason on earth why my mom should have driven by at that moment. But she did. And I just noticed, you know, I got over because there was a car coming, and I see it's, it's, well, it's mom. And she rolls the window down, and I don't know why she rolled her window down. She didn't say anything. She rolled the window down, and with her finger, she pointed home. My party was over, and as uh, Ted Tripp says in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I know what he means when he talks about the Board of Education being applied to the seat of learning. That was me that afternoon. I, uh, I remember that day well. I never drove in the street after that. Actually, I had to be talked into driving cars. You know what <laughs> happened? So traumatized. No. I, uh, all of us, though, all of us recoil from pain, Right? Who enjoys pain? No one. No one enjoys hurting. And you know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, is no exception to that. Do you remember here in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, our Lord has risen, he's with his disciples, and this is uh, the restoration of Peter taking place in this chapter after the big catch of fish, and then the, the fellowship, and a meal there on the shore, And then Jesus sets his gaze on Peter, and some of the words he says to Peter are not pleasant words. They're actually words of promised pain, and Peter recoils from them. Remember these verses. Look at verse 18. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he, Jesus, had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Even though that's in front of you, there's pain in front of you. Peter, follow me. And what's Peter's response? He recoils from this. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who was that? John. He saw John following them, the one who also had leaned back on Christ's bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? If I got to hurt, does he get to hurt? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you, Peter? You. Follow me. Peter recoils from pain, and it's probably good for us to see that. Because you and I recoil from pain too. Not from the Board of Education, but from the pain that suffering and persecution will bring to us. We hear it, We read about it, and we might see pictures of it in a distant land. But here in our country, here in the West, here in 2023, we recoil from that. And it's the same Peter that comes a long way since this conversation by the time he writes his first epistle. Here he's recoiling from pain. But between that moment and the moment where he writes 1 Peter chapter 2, and turn there with me, he has come a long way. Life has been interesting and difficult. Peter had been with the other disciples early in the book of Acts, marched right in in front of the Sanhedrin and rebuked. Peter had been put into prison by Herod, in Acts chapter 12 and uh, was slated to be not just persecuted but martyred the Lord delivered him from that and we know that Peter is going to have struggles with his own flesh on and off still but we do know this from history as well that Peter will be martyred by Nero and he sees that shadow coming across him as he writes this. But he's come a long way. Could it be that he listened as our Lord preached the material from the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again during those three years where Peter was told that if you stand out for Christ, you're going to get hit. He's reflecting on that through the years and through the decades before he writes these words. And, And our Lord had slowly been transforming how Peter not only responds to pain but responds to the sources of pain, which are sometimes people in our lives like the government or family members or even employers. And so as he looks back at his persecutors, not only in the past but in the present, what he does with his pen in 1 Peter chapter 2 is he teaches us his readers, to see what he now sees. To know what he now knows that keeps him in the game, a game that will cost him his life shortly. He sees something that too often we don't see in our day as Christians. He knows something that we are blind to, and he's determined that we get it too. You say, what kept Peter in the game after all his failures, but then against the backdrop of all his persecution, here's what kept Peter in the game. It was submitting himself within the ever-increasing persecution. Your Bible's open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 13 with me this morning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. But do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves, as slaves, lots of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. Here we are in 2023, and it's probably good timing for us as a fellowship. It's a good time for us to come to this passage and then look back just a few months, it seems, to covid We learned a lot of lessons. I didn't have a class in leading a church through COVID when I was in grad school. I had no idea what to do. Mark Meredith, one of our deacons at that time, and he's back on the board now, said that this was the hardest thing he'd ever faced as a deacon. Was what do we do? We just didn't know. Now, we know a lot more now towards the end of it and even in the middle of it, but at the beginning, we didn't know what was going on. No one did. Maybe we should look back at that with this paragraph in mind today. Because a lot of people, because of what we found out perhaps during the middle of a pandemic and definitely the end and post-pandemic, a lot of believers in Christ have made hasty resolutions, blank checks, if you will, of protest against government. Bumper stickers have been printed And we still, if we're honest with each other, do not know what may come in front of us. What national or local emergencies may happen. What war may break out. And we're making all these hasty resolutions about government. There are knee-jerk fears alive in churches like ours. Because indeed, the government is... Staffed by so many people that are enemies of the gospel. They are part of the, the, the depravity that Paul outlines in Romans 1. They're reading from the script, they're living the script, they're in a parade that's going downgrade to the wrath of God. And that's who's running so many of the governments. There's, a, there's corruption in the process, there's a lack of accountability in government, there's an abuse of power. There's a moral revolution going on. We're sickened by the constant reality of identity politics. We're seeing the opposition to Genesis 1 and 2 and everything that the Creator has put into place. You say, yep, that's, that's America in 2023. That's Michigan in 2023. Wait, wait just a minute. I, I'm talking about Rome. With all those descriptions. And I'm talking about Nero. Peter's writing during that. So I have a question for you. As God's people, when the going gets tough, when the persecution no longer stays back at the shore of only being a threat, it is now, it is now pressing in. Why should you submit to government? Why? And I want to give you an answer this morning with the time we have left by wording it around what I believe are three simple principles. I'm not saying they're lightweight principles. By simple, these are three principles that are obvious in this paragraph from Peter, writing about Rome. And it sounds like Ypsilanti. Three simple principles. They are direct. They are therefore timeless. And what these principles are going to do in verses 13 through 17 is they're going to take the abstract of verse 12 and start dressing it out into the concrete in verses 13 and following. Remember verse 12? Verse 12 was just kind of general. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We unpacked that last week, but we still got to admit, when we finished the study last week, that's still just kind of a general principle. It's, we're okay saying amen to the abstract. Now, verse 13 and following is going to get really specific. We might have liked verse 12, but we're not going to be real big on verses 13 through 17 without God's help and grace. So I want you to see these three simple principles. I'm going to give you the names of them right now, and then let's dive into them. First of all, we'll see the principle of evangelism. Then we'll see the principle of lordship. I'm sorry. The second one is the principle of sovereignty. And thirdly, the principle of lordship. Evangelism. Sovereignty and lordship. Let's, let's look at these. Let's get into this. First of all, the principle of evangelism. What keeps you in the game, Peter? What will keep us in the game? When the persecution is upon us, it's the principle of evangelism. Look at verse 13 again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. I like that phrase, we need to land on it, that opens verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It's fascinating as I pointed out already. These are the first words after Peter takes a breath after verse 12. This is all about the Lord. Uh, this application of verse twelve and following into verse thirteen and following is not about you, believer. It's ultimately about the Lord. He says, "Submit yourselves," and this is a this is a word that Peter is really going to use a lot in this epistle for such a short letter. You're going to see it again in chapter two, verse eighteen, dealing with servants. But I believe we're going to be able to get some uh, some application even in our our work and employment um, context here. He says in verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. We're going to see that in our next study. In chapter 3, verse 1, you're going to see the same word applied to a wife who has an unbelieving husband who needs to be saved. In the same way, verse 1, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. And he's going to use this Greek word again in chapter 5, verse 5. Speaking to the whole church, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a word that's, that's just talking about you arranging yourself under, listen, something you probably don't agree with. Is submission happening between two entities if there's agreement? No. It's interesting, though. In this arranging yourself under the authority of someone else, you have to understand that it, it's going to mean that you probably just don't follow them. You don't agree with them. You don't, you don't follow where their logic is leading. You don't agree with their conclusions. Brian Chapel, a wonderful Bible commentary writer, says, Many seem to think they have a responsibility to submit to authority only as long as they agree with it, or as long as it is fair in their eyes or as long as it does not require too much inconvenience. And he's right. But our Lord is forever, through the pen of Peter here, who's reflecting the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospels, is totally rewriting that. In God's sight, according to Peter, submission is evangelism. We didn't see that coming. He's basically saying to his readers, you submit, you endure in difficult situations because you, listen, are recruiting citizens for your home country. And it's not America. He's already talked about that in the verses prior to this. That we are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are, we are just passing through. Our citizenship is in home. And so what our Lord is doing here is He's saying, do you understand that your submission has everything to do with my agenda in your generation of rescuing people so that your true country becomes their true country. If people that are carrying the name of Jesus are always in a protest and always wound up tightly like a rubber band on issues of government and submission, I would venture to say that we're doing anything but evangelism we don't have to agree with the government no absolutely and i'll say more about that but i think sometimes we get we get wound up pretty tight about our own preferences and point at authorities in our life and say i have the excuse not to to arrange myself underneath them what we're doing is we're taking us outside of the evangelistic agenda of our lord it's not just that we're supposed to arrange ourselves under even governments we, we, can't, we can't agree with. But it's also that we are supposed to go beyond that arrangement and even be praying for them, right? In 1 Timothy, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Remember these verses? Verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> First of all, then, I urge... That entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. You say, why does Paul use all four verses, or excuse me, all four words to describe different aspects of prayer? Because he doesn't want us just brainlessly running into brief prayers for the government, if you will. He wants us to be thinking through what we can be thankful for. There are needs for petitions and entreaties. And if there's any question about it, look at verse 2. For kings, and not just kings, but all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men, including those kings. His heart is for them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You understand that if every world leader... If every appointed or elected local leaders, if every judge, if every law enforcement authority were to repent and believe in the gospel, there would be sufficient covering for their sin. Do you understand that? It's interesting. I'm aware because of one of you. You've disclosed to me a conversation you had with our governor during covid And the conversation you shared with Governor Whitmer was that our church, Calvary Baptist of Ypsilanti, prays for her. This is during the pandemic, when we were in the gym, actually. And she was shocked. And who knows if she's had staffers tune in to see if it's true or not. Since then, I don't know. But did you hear how Carrie prayed in the morning prayer? It was a beautiful demonstration of praying for our governor for praying for President Biden. And it was praying for their safety. It was praying for their salvation. It's praying for their family. It's praying for their leadership. And it's also praying for any at any point where they are lashing out with policy against the Creator and His order. We pray that their plans would be frustrated. But we just don't say, we just don't pray, Lord, get them. We're praying for them. They're not ready to die. We're we're concerned. If she were to tune in and hear how we prayed for her even this morning, I wonder if God may use that to draw her to saving faith. You don't know. Do we agree with her? No. On on many items. Do we pray for her? Are we burdened for her? Absolutely, yes. To to not do that is indeed a sin. There was a young salesman who was very disappointed about losing a big sale, very discouraged. So he set up a meeting with his sales manager, and he was just dumping his heart out to his boss. And the young salesman said, I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the sales manager looked at this young employee and said, Son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Your job isn't to agree with the government that will be opposed to God. Your job is to make them thirsty for the gospel that animates you and for the Lord who rescued you. But there's a second principle. What kept Peter going? The second principle is the principle of sovereignty. Now go to the middle of verse 13. Now let's just start at the beginning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Interesting phrase there. It says in verse 13, to every human institution. A literal translation of that could go like this. uh, To every human institution creation. In other words, the government here is going to look different than the government in Russia. And the government in Russia is going to look a lot different than the government in Indonesia. Man has freedom and a latitude to set up government. God ordained government as an institution, but its expression in different cultures and at different times is going to look different. Not, it's because man, corrupt man, is going to shape it in different manners to look different, and it's all these imperfect expressions of government that make you and me frustrated and hungry for a perfect king, and he's coming, but he's not here yet. So as you look around in any lifetime, in any nation, you have these human institutions or creations. And as I think about that, that three basic truths grip me. These three facts not only grip me, they wrestle me to the ground, and they pin me. What are these three facts that I see in that little phrase when I read every human institution? Fact number one is this. You are not ultimately submitting to man, but to your God who is over every human institution. That's right. We read these words this past winter in our winter Bible study, our our Bible conference through the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember these words? Who's like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. Hold your finger here in 1 Peter and go with me to Romans chapter 13. In my letter to you yesterday evening, I asked you to read through this chapter I hope you're able to do that. Romans chapter 13. I just want these words, like the words of Ecclesiastes a moment ago, I just, want, I just want you to hear these words without comment. I want them to wash over your thinking without interruption again this morning. Romans 13. Verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Did you catch those phrases? Verse 6, servants of God. Verse 4, avenger of God, a minister of God. Verse Twice a minister of God, verse 4. Verse 2, ordinance of God. Verse 13, from God and established by God. You got that, right? Let me get you to turn to Titus chapter 3 before we return to 1 Peter 2. Titus chapter 3, just two verses, verses 1 and 2. Let Let these words wash over you and sing in unison with what Peter's writing. Titus 3. Verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. You say, that's wimpy, that's a doormat. I say, that's bold. I say, that's strength. That's strength. And before I get tired and feathered this morning... We don't have the luxury in interpreting scripture of saying, I don't agree with what you said about that verse. We don't have the luxury of saying, I, um, I don't think that verse says that or means that. Okay, that's fine. But you don't have the luxury of stopping there. You have to tell me what does it mean then. It's pretty straightforward. Paul's language is very consistent with Peter's here. That the government has been established by God, even imperfect, godless governments are a presence on earth to punish evil and reward good. You say, well, not all governments do that. I know, I know. But within the rubric of the different governments the different expressions and different times, it does. I know it does, because God invented it. I've let scripture wash over your mind. I want you to hear a few voices on this. Just listen. I'm not going to put them on the, the board. Just listen. Jerry Bridges, we like Jerry Bridges, that nice old man. He writes, the so-called sovereign nations of the world are not truly sovereign. They are nothing more than instruments in the hand of God to accomplish his will. Sometimes to protect his people. Sometimes to open door for advancement of the gospel. And sometimes to be his instruments of judgment against ungodliness. As God looks down upon the nations that accomplish his purpose, even while rebelling against him, he sees them as nothing more than his instruments. End quote. How about R.C. Sproul, who writes, All authority is under Christ. When we disobey lesser authorities, we are guilty of disobeying Christ. You cannot serve the king and honor his authority by rebelling against his appointed governors. To say you can honor the kingdom of Christ while you disobey his authority structure is to be guilty not only of hypocrisy, but of cosmic treason, end quote. Well, let's go to someone else that seems nicer than that. Let's try John MacArthur. Quote, MacArthur writes, quote, By God's own sovereign decree, presidents, kings, prime ministers, governors, mayors, police, And all other governmental authorities stand in his place for the preservation of society, says the guy that has his governor, Governor Newsom. It's the preservation of society. Listen to this. To resist government, John says, is therefore to resist God, end quote. John Piper writes these words, the better we understand the seething evil of the human heart that is ready to break out where there is no restraint, the more thankful we will be for the government. End quote. But also historian Arnold Toynbee penned this sentence that gripped me. He writes, As long as original sin remains an element in human nature, Caesar will always have plenty to do. End quote. That first fact just grips me that the governments that are here are the exact ones God wants here. You are not ultimately submitting to man, but to your God who is over every human creation. But there's a second fact that grips me here. The second fact is this. The institution over you are God's plan for your life right now. Period. And be careful to limit this just to government. Because he's going to get around to spouses and employers soon, too. And you don't want to have bumper stickers printed up for them. The institutions over you are right now are God's plan for your life. Peter's writing about Nero, who, who was in power from A.D. 54 to 68. And let's just keep in mind, Nero is the one that will kill Peter. And then we have this word governors in verse 14. We have the king, which you can think global or national, and then governors are appointed leaders in the more local and regional areas. This is top and bottom. It's part of God's design. And there's no exceptions except one. Except one. When that government at any point tells you that you must disobey God, With omission or commission. With grace, you disobey and you accept the consequences. That's what we see modeled in Acts chapter 4 with the apostles. Remember Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20? Peter and John answered and said to them, the rulers of the people, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And again, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. It's not weak. That's strength. It looks as strong as Jesus. When Jesus, on the week that he will be crucified, said in Matthew 20:21, 20, You render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and you render to God what belongs to God. Hmm. If a government tells me that I can't read the scripture in public, I'll go to jail. If the government tells me that I can't evangelize someone who is lost, I'll have to go to jail. If the government tells us, as a church, we can't have in our in our uh, documents that the definition of marriage is not what the Creator said; it's something that we want to say, then we'll hopefully be roommates. We're going to jail, right? If you stay connected at that point through that sifting, not all of you would. If if the if if, if we're told that. Um, we're going to be incarcerated when we say there are only two genders, like your creator says, go to jail. If they say you need, to, you need to be okay with children being murdered, even pre-birth, and we say we're not going along with that, we're going to go to jail. If we take a stand against human trafficking, children and adults, and whole industries and networks reach out against us because of that stand, then, okay, we're, we're going to have to take this hit. My looking back at COVID, and it'll be a, a study for the rest of my life in my own heart, maybe we do things different. There are some things that we did that I'm just like, God gave us more wisdom than we knew. The men here were the deacons and the pastors were um, in a good, sweet fellowship during a difficult time. But understand one thing. Our church, Calvary Baptist Church, from day one of the pandemic was never closed. You say, well, the doors were locked. That doesn't mean the church is closed. And I do build margin between me and other Christians that say, when you lock the door for 90 minutes a week, the church is closed. It's never closed. The church is you. If we don't know what's going on and we're trying to figure out this, whether it's a pandemic or an invasion or safety codes, all right, until we figure out what's going on. But understand, this church is a body, and it's going to continue to not just survive and communicate and minister to each other, but it's going to thrive. This church was never closed. As a matter of fact, I want to push back a little on brothers in Christ and say, if you keep saying that we all closed our churches because a door was locked... Theologically, you're facing in a, in, a, in a dangerous direction to say to your congregation that church is only in existence and only in corporate gatherings. It surely is in existence in corporate gatherings as a body, but do you want your church not to be in that mindset when they dismiss and go Sunday to Saturday in the community? We are a body that corporately gathers, yes, and we want to do that as soon as possible, yes. and. And if you don't do that and keep your commitment as a church member in a normal season, you're not going to be a member. But if someone ever said to us, yeah, it's not just an issue of locking doors and doing face masks. It's you can't contact each other and speak and disciple and encourage and counsel one another at any point in the week. Then we're going to go to jail. That's disobedience. Well, there's a third principle. What kept Peter going? It's a principle of evangelism. It's a principle of sovereignty, but thirdly, there's a principle of lordship. It's interesting. When my wife and I were ministering at the Wilds Camp in North Carolina, the the weekend between, we we had one day off. It was a Saturday between our two weeks. And, uh, so we drove an hour away, and we were hoping that my new grandson would have come then. She was in the hospital the day before that. And I was like, cool, we get to be here. And, of course, he's like, I ain't coming out yet. You guys go back to camp, man. And, uh, but we noticed in that visit with my son Jared and his wife Anna, poor Anna, with this big baby in her. They loved having us visit. It was great. We went out to eat and had a good time. But there was something special going on between Jared and Anna. That even though we were at the same table and in their house, there's just something special going on and it's knowing that any day now they're going to have their baby in their arms. And uh, just something special going on between the two of them. Well, Of course, this baby was born Friday and I'm, my wife's there now and I get to see him tomorrow night, Lord willing. But, you know, as I read Peter, Peter's saying when you submit to ungodly structures, ungodly governments within God-created structures more accurately. There's something special going on between you and the Lord. What are these things? Three things specifically. First of all, you are putting God's glory on display. You really are. Look at verse 15. For such is, what? The will of God. That by doing right, you will you you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. When you and I submit, especially when on a human level it doesn't make sense, we are putting the glory of our Lord on display. This is the word for will, thelema. It's gonna he's gonna use it for three other times in this epistle, and it's gonna most times have to do with suffering. Chapter three, verse seventeen. It's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right rather than for doing what is wrong. Chapter 4, verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Chapter 4, 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. You're putting His glory on display when you submit. He's your Lord, and when you obey Him, that sends out a message to a watching world that he is real, and you are committed, and it brings glory to him. And, and what's the purpose for this? It says, by doing right, you may silence, you can translate that gag, I like that better, or muzzle is another way. You will silence the ignorance of foolish men. Who are these foolish men? Well, it's the same ones we met in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in a thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in a day of visitation. You're putting his glory on display, the glory of your Lord. But there's something else that's going on between you and the Lord when you do this difficult assignment. You are being reminded of your identity. Really. As you submit to that authority, You're being reminded of your identity. Where do we get that? Verse 16. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God. He says, you are free in Christ. You're free from your sin. You're free from the fear of condemnation. You are free indeed, but don't use that as your excuse to be the exception to the submission that he's prescribing here. You see, your home country identity, that's your freedom in Christ, your home country identity dictates your temporary country behavior. See? Hmm. The reformer Martin Luther said, and I have a lot of German in me, so I, I get his edgy words. He says, A Christian is a perfectly free lord of all, little l, subject to none. But a Christian is also a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Yeah. As Sproul put it, R.C. Sproul, Christian freedom rests not on escape from service, but on a change of masters. See, I don't like our... I don't like where our president stands on this stuff. I don't like his rhetoric. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like his position on this. That's okay. I'm I'm actually submitting to God. I'm looking past him and submitting to God until he tells me to disobey God. Not a preference. Not a club code. Disobey God. I will arrange myself because I'm free to do so. My citizenship is in heaven. No citizens or non-citizens must live under the same regulation as the citizens of the country that they are visiting. Whether that's building codes, safety precautions, wartime strategy. There's one more thing going on between you and God when you obey him in this. You are clear on your marching orders. You are clear on your marching orders. Look at verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Some surmise that this was a little slogan of the early church in that region. These little pithy statements glued together to tie off this paragraph. This would be a good bumper sticker for us to have today. And all possibilities are covered, right? You got all people, you got believers, you got God, and you got King. And it's interesting to note that you say, "What do you mean honor all people?" That means it comes from a Greek word "teme." You'll see it at the end of the verse too. Just fix a high value on. Just I, I don't care what other people are doing. I am fixing a high value on this person and responding to them as such. That's what teme means. Why do we do that for all people without exception? Can't get around that. Because every person that you will ever meet is an image bearer of God, even if they're cursing God. They've been created in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. James will even say, the the brother of our Lord, the older brother of our Lord, or the oldest one after our Lord, he's going to say in James uh, chapter uh, uh, 3, verses 9 and 10, He's going to say, you know what, we have this tongue and it's a problem and and with it we bless God and with it we curse man. These things ought not so be because we curse those that are made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah, all people here in 1 Peter 2 means all. It's what Paul said in Galatians 6.10. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to the household of faith. In 1 Thessalonians 4.12, Paul says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. And again, later in that same epistle, chapter 5, verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. couple of interesting notes here. I mean, we're told here to honor all people, love the brothers, that's the believers. He's already written much about that. And where he's going to write more about that in chapter 4. And then we see um, uh, fear God, which is dwell in your moments with an awareness of God's presence, his proximity and his holiness and his care. The songs that you were singing this morning did that. And then it says, honor the king. Notice a couple things. Did you notice here how this starts and ends? We're to honor the people and honor the king. You understand that in God's sight, though government's his creation and his institution, the king is on the same level with all people. Honor them. Contrary to what many of these kings think, that they are deity. They're not. They're just a a people. An image bearer of God. Honor them. But we fear God. The king is honored. God is feared. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So I guess we can say this. As we come to the conclusion of this paragraph, this unit of thought, you now know God's will for your life. You can interpret this through the lens of mistakes and the fog of war that we experienced in COVID, learn from COVID. Everyone does. But we got to say what does this passage say? What does it teach? It concludes where it was heading the whole time honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And by the way, when he says all people, he's going to undress that even more as he, as, he, as he presses through the remainder of this chapter in the first part of chapter 3. It's not just the king. We're going to be talking about employers. We're going to be talking about spouses, husbands and wives. So, spoiler alert. So, Peter, when the going gets tough, why submit? You, know, you understand this guy's going to take your life, Right? Peter, like in just a few years, if that? Why submit, Peter? You used to be this real strapping guy that would even try to confront Jesus. You used to be the strapping guy that would say to the, like with the, other, to the other disciples, I'm not going to leave you like these guys. Peter, Peter carried more than a pocket knife. He had a sword. He wasn't swinging for ears. He was swinging for necks. What happened to that guy? He's still there. He's still there. But all that strength, all that strength has been captured by grace. He's he's still there. And it's Peter that says, it's all about the principle of evangelism. The principle of sovereignty and the principle of lordship. And it's true, isn't it? The principle that whatever's true for the extreme, persecution, is double true the norm. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. Father, this is a, normally it wouldn't be a difficult passage to preach, but we're kind of fatigued with what we've gone through in this country for the past four years. We're just tired. We've lost friends, churches have split. Countless pastors have left the ministry. There's just a fatigue, Lord. And we have been disillusioned because of so much corruption. There's been sin inside the church, but there's been corruption outside. And aren't we supposed to be angry at that? And aren't we, yes, we're supposed to be salt and light, but this one hit us in the gut, Lord. And so we just need clarity once again as we retool, as we reload as we recalibrate. So suddenly a paragraph that can be difficult becomes a salve. It becomes a compass that's been cleared off and we can see north again. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I pray for those. We talk about freedom in Christ. I pray for those who don't yet know freedom because they're still in their sin, I pray that they will reach out to you in faith and repentance. Open their eyes, even today, even right now, to believe you are who you said you are, the infinite God-man. And you did what you did. You died for sin and rose from the dead, conquering death. And you're coming again.